Today's scripture passage is from Matthew 22, verses 15 through 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we pray now that you would take these words of truth in your word, these words spoken by our Savior Christ, and you would cause us to hear them and to believe them. You would cause us to walk in your ways above all else. This is our prayer, O oh God. This is our prayer. Amen. Friends, if you would, please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 22, where Sam was just reading for us. We at Redeemer, if you're our guest, are studying our way through the book of Matthew, and this is where we land today. And um, <clears throat> we've entitled this sermon, A Sinister Question. And if you want a really simple overview of what happens in this passage, I can give it to you in about 15 seconds. Some enemies of Jesus decided to trap him. And they asked him a question that they thought backed him into a corner perfectly where he would have to get himself into trouble. And Jesus saw what they were doing didn't take the bait, was wiser than they were, and got himself out of the trap. There's your overview of what happens, okay? And so I could say to you, Christ is wiser, Christ knows more, Christ is great, amen, let's all go home. And some of you are like, yeah, that's right, my kind of sermon. But guys, I don't believe for it moment that that's why this passage is in the scripture. This passage is in the scripture because of the question that was asked and the way that Jesus answered it. This this passage is in the scripture because it's intended to shape how we think about Christ, how we think about his kingdom, and how we think about obedience to him. So, yes, they they tried to trap Jesus. Yes, their motives were sinister. Yes, they thought they had him, and no, they did not trap him. That's it. But most of our time needs to be spent in this. Why did Jesus respond the way he did to this particular question? We believe that that his answer to this question is intended to shape our faith. It's intended to shape how we understand Jesus. It's intended to shape how we understand what it means to follow Jesus. And as I said last week, 
the challenge for me and for all of you is this. Do we have a faith where the words of Jesus challenge and stretch and reshape who we are? Or do we have a faith where we just expect to make Jesus in our own image? I want for me to have a faith that's stretched and shaped by the words of Jesus. And and I would hope that the Lord would help me to lead us to have a faith that's stretched and shaped by the words of Jesus. So let's dive into the depths of what Jesus is saying here. Um, So if if you want to take notes, um, the first point and the question of the passage is, Give to Caesar, question mark. So so what we're told in this passage is two groups of people who normally wouldn't be friends and wouldn't be allies come to Jesus and together believe that they can trap him. The Pharisees were the people of the law. They were the people who wanted to elevate strict adherence to the law of Moses above all else. And so what's important in this context is the Pharisees were opposed to all occupation of Israel. Rome was an enemy to be thwarted. And the assumption was that the coming Messiah would tear down the enemy and set up Rome as an opposition, excuse me, set up Israel as opposition to Rome and establish God's kingdom through physical Israel in Jerusalem. Second group, the Herodians. These were people most likely Jewish, but had some loyalty to Herod and his family, Herod the king, and they were willing to accommodate things like taxes. And so they come to Jesus, we're told, with a question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, this is not a genuine question. It's not a genuine question. They don't come with the desire to sit under the wisdom of Jesus and have Jesus shape how they think about Israel and Rome. Now, what I find beautifully interesting is even though they come in bad faith, Jesus still answers truthfully, directly, and in a way that is intended to reshape their thinking. Now, we're throwing a side out there. One thing I've learned through about 20 years of ministry is very, very often the questions that people bring aren't from a place of genuine interest in sitting under the wisdom of Jesus. Often people's philosophical questions are just a way to get you off topic, right? And we truth-loving people are like, oh, you want to debate about the deity of Jesus? Let's roll. They don't care about the deity of Jesus. They just love shacking up with somebody that Jesus says they shouldn't shack up with. Or put another sin in the thing. 
So there's a very interesting thing here is, is they're not coming with a genuine question. They're coming to back Jesus into a corner. So watch how this goes. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? If Jesus says no, then he's gotten himself in trouble with Rome, right? He's gotten himself in trouble with Rome, and they got him. No, you shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar. That's political sedition. You're in trouble. If he says yes, then he's violating the teaching of the Pharisees, and most likely his popularity ratings among the Jews are going to go down, 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 down. So they think they have him trapped. And so the question is, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And when they say lawful, I don't think they mean lawful in a, a political, legal sense. They mean lawful in a right slash biblical sense. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Is it biblical to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Because obviously paying taxes, if you pay taxes to Caesar, you're paying taxes to our occupier. You're paying taxes to the person who are holding us captive. So Jesus responds. Verse 18, Jesus was aware of their malice. And he said, why did you put me to the test, you hypocrites? So he's saying, I, I know that this isn't a question of genuine interest in what is right or biblical. It's a trap, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you how you should think about it. So he he said to them, show me the coin for the tax. Now, guys, this is the sleight of hand here, by the way. Jesus doesn't reach into his pocket and pull out a coin for the tax. But he says to them, the one saying, should we pay the tax? Hey, show me the coin. So they reach into their pockets and they pull out the coin. They brought him the denarius, and Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. So he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's. Now I know there's a comma and there's the rest of the statement. We're going to come to that in just a minute, but we're just going to go this far for now. So Jesus says, Show me the coin. They show him one. This is the coin used for the tax. And he says, Whose image is on this? And they said, Caesar's image. Implied in that question is, who had the coin made? Caesar. For what purpose did Caesar have the coin made? For trade in his nation. And by you having the coin, you are participating in the provision, the protection, the amenities of belonging to Rome. So render means pay back. It means give back to Caesar the things that belong to him. Pay the tax. You reap benefits from his system. You have the coin. Jesus says it is lawful to pay Then he's going to give another challenge, but let's just stop there for a minute. Jesus says it's lawful to pay the tax. Um, Friends, 
I just want to put this in front of us. Caesar is wrong. He views himself as God. Caesar is sinful. He's blasphemous. He views himself as equal with God, as worthy of the worship that's due to God. And I think most of us would have expected Jesus to say, don't be found close to evil. Don't pay the tax. But Jesus says, pay the tax. Pay the tax. So it seems that what Jesus is laying out here is, the nature of his kingdom is not intended to be a replacement for Rome, but something completely different. The nature of the kingdom that Jesus came to build is not to be the better nation state, but it's to be something that transcends the limits of nation state. It's to be always and forever the people of God giving their ultimate allegiance to God to serve the purposes of God. So I didn't come to tear down Caesar and raise up me. Rather, I came to offer a kingdom that transcends all things physical, all things geopolitical, all things nation state driven. And if Jesus' kingdom is that much different, then he seems to say that you can pay the tax of a nation state without blaspheming. He seems to say you can pay the tax of a nation state even when the leader of the nation state is wrong and we could point out all of his wrongs. Now, friends, I have a firm commitment that we don't do politics from the pulpit here at Redeemer. But you know what I want to do right now, right? I want to lean into that a little bit. I'm not going to, but I would just say to you, 2024 is coming. It's like just chronologically, it really stinks that 24 comes right after 23. Like, what if we learned to skip count here in America? 23, 25, 27, I'm just kidding. We never have to have an election again. It would be beautiful. But 24 is an election year. And that means that everybody in America loses their minds instead of Christians. And I really, really don't look forward to pastoring in 2024. Just remember, we have a commitment. We don't politic from the pulpit. You can keep coming to Redeemer in 2024. But one of the things that, that these guys with the trap are doing here is they've created a false binary, meaning they've made something that's complex and has lots of nuance into a simple yes or no question. That's what I mean by false binary. Binary means A or B. False means you think it's A or B, but it's really not. So they thought they had Jesus backed into the corner of an A or B question. And they're like, we got him because A gets him and B gets him. And what he actually says is, it's not a binary question. It's a question of wisdom. It's a question of truth. It's a question of intent. It's a question of purpose. So 
in the next few months when we're presented with binary political posturing and words like obedience to God and heresy are being thrown around on those two sides of the binary, I would just challenge you to ask this question. What would the the wisdom of Jesus in this passage say to the question that I'm wrestling with here today? Because what we need far more than Jamie's opinion on present tense matters is we need the wisdom of Jesus. And he's blowing up the question. He's completely obliterating the question because he's saying effectively, you can pay the tax and be faithful to the Lord. You can pay the tax and follow me. Everybody a little bit uncomfortable right now? I think that's the purpose. I think that's the purpose. But minimally, here's where I want us to land. Jesus is laying out a vision, a philosophy, an idea, a pathway that says... The people of God can participate in broken systems and structures and governments and be faithful to the kingdom at the same time. I think we need to process that and wrestle that down. Now, I'm going to close a loop because some of you, your minds are already gone there. There are biblical teachings that are true binary options, meaning yes or no. So when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except for me, what he's saying is, I'm the way, everything else is not the way, right? That's a binary. We don't need to be afraid of those when Jesus lays them down. We get in trouble when we try to make everything one of those. Everybody tracking with me here? Okay. Jesus doesn't leave it there, but he pushes it one step further, and I think the one step further is very helpful. So our second point is give to God exclamation point. So look at verse 21. Jesus has said, whose likeness is in this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore render to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. When they heard it, they marveled and they left him and they went away. Okay. So when Jesus says, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's, we could make a very simple reading that would be a wrong reading. And this would be the simple wrong reading. Well, yeah, give the tax to Caesar and give the things that are God's, financially speaking, to God. Now, this would be a great day to misinterpret this passage and launch a giving campaign because we could do it like this. The tax that they're talking about was one day's wage. So the other 364, give them to God. Give them to your church. Every denarius of it. Give it all. Anybody excited about that interpretation of the passage? No. The good news is that's not what Jesus is saying. Well, then what is he saying? Let's dig in a little bit. Jesus said, hey, show me the coin. The coin was 
a denarius. Let's put our thinking caps on. And this is what the denarius of the day of Jesus looked like. On the front, it had a picture of Tiberius Caesar. And inscribed on the front with the picture of Tiberius in Latin was Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. I mean, do we feel our skin crawling a little bit here? And then on the back in Latin, it said, the high priest. So the coin is a picture of Tiberius Caesar, and it claims that he is the son of the divine, himself divine, and our high priest. So here's what I think, and a lot of people smarter than me think Jesus is saying. When he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and the things that are God, the things that are God's to God. He's saying, yeah, throw that coin back at Caesar. Give it to him. He deserves it. Both literally and metaphorically. But don't give to Caesar what that coin claims is due him. You give that to the Lord. You give the worship and the adoration and the crying out for intervention, and the longing to be reconciled to God, you don't give that to Caesar. You give that to Jesus. And so when he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's, he's not saying, divide your money up, give a little bit to Caesar, give a whole bunch to God, and keep enough to eat. What he's saying is, yeah, pay the tax, And then give the whole of your being, all of your worship, all of your adoration, all of your allegiance, all of your obedience, all of your desire. Give that to Jesus, to me, and to the kingdom that I am building. Jesus says something very easy, pay the tax something very, very hard. Give the Lord all of who you are as an act of worship and an act of allegiance and an act of loyalty and withhold nothing from him. And as foreign as a vow of poverty sounds to a bunch of evangelicals, it'd be far easier to sign all my assets over than to talk about my motives and my words and my thoughts and my desires and my actions. Give it all to the Lord. Use it all to exalt him. Use it all to praise him. Use it all to serve him. Use it all to further his purposes in the world. Use it all for his glory. Use it all to honor him. Use it all to submit to him. So sure, pay the tax, But stop short of giving to Caesar what actually belongs to God. So, 
Here's a way to think about this. The teaching of Jesus is consistent with the teaching of Paul because it all comes from the Lord. And I give props to LJ. LJ, are you here? LJ is on campus. He is working. I don't see him in this room. LJ helped me with this little piece of the sermon. So, LJ, thank you. Um, when Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, this is very consistent with Paul's teaching in Romans chapter 13. When Paul says, let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. And it goes on for a whole chapter. Okay? So, so the render to Caesar, the things that are Caesar, is very consistent with Romans chapter 13. Our faith and our living out of our faith in the United States in the year 2024 needs to be shaped by things like render to Caesar and Romans 13. But when Jesus says render to God's, render to God the things that are God's, that's very consistent with what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say that everyone among you not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And Paul goes on. So the idea in this teaching is that the kingdom of Jesus is ultimately made up of people who have been redeemed and who are devoted to Christ above all else. So here's our application question. What within us, it could be how we deal with possessions and money, but it could also be how we deal with work, how we deal with home, how we deal with leisure, how we deal with extracurriculars, how we process things inside of ourselves, how we speak to others, how we act, how we move, how we live. What is it in us that is preventing us from giving Christ the worship and allegiance and total submission that's due his name? So anytime we act contrary to the scripture, we're failing to give to Jesus the worship, the allegiance, and the total submission that's due his name. Anytime we fail to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're failing to give to Jesus the worship and the allegiance and the total submission that's due his name. Ultimately, if we're in Christ, our worship and allegiance and submission belongs to him and to his kingdom that he is building. And anything that's competing against that needs to be turned away from, set 
aside so that we can pursue him. And I think what Jesus has mapped out here in this very short, pithy answer is that maybe the enemy is more within than without. And maybe we're more of the problem than we want to admit that we are. But the Spirit's within. The hope is within. We can move forward and follow after him. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. My prayer, oh dear friends, is that we don't hear this teaching and leave Jesus and run away. But we hear this teaching and we stay. And we say, Lord, do your work in us. Lord, do your work in us. So if you're here today and you're a Christ follower, meaning you know Christ, you've repented of your sin, you've turned to Jesus for salvation, his spirit is in you, If you're in Christ, then your question is this. Where am I failing to give to Jesus the worship and submission that's due him? And then, Christ, would you help me purge those things out and give you those things that are due you? I feel like pastorally in a church this big, I just need to point out that some of us may answer those secondary questions a little bit differently. This is not a time to worry about everybody else. It's a time to worry about you and the Lord. If you're here today and you're not a Christ follower, we're so thankful you're here. What we present to you today is this. Jesus, the Son of God, took on human flesh, lived, died, rose again, that rebels against him could be forgiven and accepted and called the children of God. And hearing words like worship and submission and total adoration sound fearful, but our promise to you is he is good and it's worth it. Come and follow him. We invite you to him today. I would love to help you meet Christ today. Talk to me after this service. Others in this room would love to help you meet Christ today. Talk with someone after this service. So now our great God, we pray that you would take these words of truth from Jesus. And as much as what's been said in this passage is true and right, consistent with Christ, We pray that you would take these words and speak them to us. Lord, we are so thankful for the scripture and for the spirit and for the church. We ask now that you would work through us pray this in Jesus' name.